Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. Our guest today is Greg McEwen. Greg is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, and the founder of McEwen Inc., a company with a mission to teach essentialism to millions of people around the world. Greg, thanks for coming on. It's great to be with you, Brian. So we're recording this in March of 2020, and the coronavirus is the top story everywhere. Uh, so I do want to get to how people can use essentialism to determine their course and actions at work and home in times like these. And so, Greg, you did a virtual keynote last week and shared a brand new story that really pertains to our situation. Can you share that with us now? Yeah, I was hesitant to share it, but um, and even a little now, but it's... It, it was a real game changer for, for me and for our family. Um, not long ago, uh, my family and I moved to a pretty idyllic community. Uh, it's white picket fences lining the streets. There's no street lamps. There's like more horse trails than roads. And our children, <laughs> yeah, seriously, right? Uh, our children spent just long days playing outside with a happy dog, riding horses, playing tennis. Uh, and, and, and really, you know, in this, this little piece of heaven on earth, uh, one of our daughters, Eve, uh, seemed especially to thrive. Uh, she's a brown-eyed, brown-haired girl. She's got a mischievous grin. She just simply cannot stay cross at any time. Even when she tries to be grumpy, uh, she can only do it for a few seconds before bursting into laughter. She loves nature. She's always climbing trees. She's running barefoot everywhere. She's wrestling her brother on the trampoline, naming chickens, catching lizards, you know, all of this. Uh, she's reading constantly. She knows more about bees and insects than I, 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 I you know, she's forgotten more than I'll ever know. Uh, she loves the James Herriot series. I mean, this is, she is just constantly talking uh, vivacious personality. Everything's punctuated with laughter. Uh, then uh, she turns 14. Uh, she hits a growth spurt. Uh, she begins to feel tired a lot. Uh, she talks to us less. She's taking longer to do her chores, uh, which is to say all pretty age-appropriate behavior. Uh, on a routine visit to a physical therapist, uh, he noticed that she failed a certain test that really shouldn't fail. And she took my wife Anna aside and he said, uh, he said look, you just might want to see a neurologist. It might just be worse. Well, you did. You don't need to be told twice. So we immediately, uh, you know, took her and, and re-examining her behavior from that perspective, uh, we found other tics and behaviors that we could no longer chalk up to teen awkwardness. Uh, and, and not only that, but her symptoms worsened on a daily basis. So that, I mean, it was like a free fall, really. Within just a, free, a few weeks, um, she would answer in only one word sentences. Uh, she spoke in a, a slurred monotone voice, the whole right hand side of her body uh, started responding at a slower speed. Um, it took a full two minutes to write her own name. Mm. Um, took her hours to eat a meal. So this, this light uh, that was once uh, so vibrant and bright in Eve dimmed. Uh, and then it seemed to go out entirely. Um, she was hospitalized after a major seizure. Uh, and, and what made the situation worse was that the doctors couldn't explain it. I mean, 
they could not offer as even the beginning of a diagnosis. Uh, so every day, brought us to more respected neurologists, and they just look with furrowed brows. I mean, one I remember literally shrugged his shoulders. Tests and tests, more tests. Everything coming back negative. The doctor couldn't find a thing. Uh, and, and to watch our vivacious daughter decline into this almost, uh, you know, just constant deterioration with no explanation is the stuff that I think suffering uh, can be made of. Mm. Now, of course, what we want, the only thing we want in the world is for Eve to get better. And yet with each unfruitful visit, inconclusive test, it becomes harder and harder. In fact, not just not harder, it's impossible. It felt impossible. And what, this was sort of this moment we realized we had a, a, a vital, yeah, I mean, an essential choice for sure, a vital choice, which is we could either focus on our pain, on fear, we could fall into panic uh, about what we might lose, or we could focus on being grateful for what we had. And really, we chose the second. So we focused on the good even in the smallest moments and expressed gratitude for it. Soon those moments started to add up. And in the process, we observed a magical force at play. And when we might have fallen into deep overwhelm, we experienced, uh, and I don't use this word lightly, um, joy. So we were grateful for music and we got around the piano and sang together. Uh, the children put on music, played it loud and danced. We were grateful for nature. We went on walks. We were grateful for books and we read together. We looked for something, anything positive to say to each other and said it. So through all, it all, there was singing, laughing, eating, making memories, some crying, hugging along the way when the moment called for it. Uh, family and friends reached out, uh, asking if they could pray for Eve, and soon the word spread, and really, uh, the group became legion. Uh, we were thankful for any effort any medical professional made to try and ease the worry. Uh, the most great moment we were grateful for, this neurologist specializing in pediatric movement disorders, which is an unbelievable level of specialities. Uh, who had a nine-month waiting time, suddenly called with a cancellation. We met with him two weeks later. When the appointment came, the doctor kept us waiting for a couple of hours, at least a couple of hours. And even then, when I was tempted to complain, Anna said, look, I'm thankful he's spending as much time with us as uh, with these other patients, because when he gets to us, he'll do the same. And she was right. And when he arrived, his approach was so fresh, different. The whole team was there, and we were thankful. We were thankful when Eve was admitted to the hospital so quickly, even still without a proper diagnosis. We're thankful when she came home, even though she was nauseous, vomiting, sick. Um, we're thankful to find that that was a, an effect of the side, you know, the, the just side effect of the treatments. Uh, we're thankful that a couple of days later we saw some improvements. We're thankful that she started uh, being able to speak a little more, then walk properly. Uh, and, and so uh, then these blossomed into, you know, full thoughts, jokes, and we believed that the worst past that look, Eve continues to get better. We, we hope that, uh, that she will still yet make a complete recovery. But, but here, here's the thing. Now, I, know, I know that most people listening to this have not had their daughter, you know, had to watch their daughter wither into a shell of their former self. But uh, 
But I think that most people listening to this have experienced, especially in this current climate, uh, and it, unexpected challenges, you know, significant shifts in, in expectation, big expectation failures globally. And, and, and look, I mean, here's, here's really what, one of the things that we learned from this experience was this, that when we focus, when you focus on what you lack, you lose what you have. Mm. When you focus on what you have, you get what you lack. And, and, and I think that this is such a vital thing to remember in these circumstances that, that when we start to complain, we find that we have many, many more things to complain about. And it can be so easily overwhelming and consuming. But when we are grateful, we find that there are more things to be grateful for. And, and, and this is, in fact, not just helpful or, or better than doing something else. It is catalytic, causative. It actually propels and transforms the experience that we have in the next moment. And, and it produces such positive momentum. It is something that we can do something about, even in circumstances that uh, uh, are in many ways beyond our control. And, and you're someone who, you know, has, has been talking about this a long time, but also, um, you know, for this particular story, I mean, that's, a, that's definitely a very, you know, kind of raw, fresh thing. And, and, and first, thank you for sharing that. Um, and, you know, kind of the world we're living in right now with the coronavirus and, and uh, I know you mentioned right before we got on air that it's, you know, currently 25% of the, the, the world population is on, is on lockdown. Um, what are some ways or, you know, what do you think is essential for us right now? I, I think that the, you know, the, the word priority comes, came into the English language in the 1400s. It was singular. You know, what's the one thing? It's the first thing. It wasn't pluralized, according to Drucker, for another 500 years. So, you know, when you ask that question, I mean, I'm really thinking about what is the priority? What is the number one thing? that we can do now. And I think, at least, at least for me personally, it is to create and then protect a, a, you know, a, a, a positive, beautiful family culture, and then the same in the business, a, 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 a sort of a similar equivalency. Uh, mm. that, that, that if you, it, it's, a, it's a bit like this. I, I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying look, look at the glass half full versus half empty. I, I'm saying, um, I read this clarification somewhere, uh, what's in the water? That's the question. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I don't know, you, have you been fly fishing before, Brian? Uh, I, yes. Long time ago. Once a long time ago, and I did poorly. <laughs> so okay, <I> so, yes. <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing, though, about fly fishing. So, so there's, a, there's a little trick in fly fishing. I don't know if you did it when you went, but um, if you wear polarized sunglasses, mm -hmm. the, 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 type, the way polarized works is that they're, they're vertical lines, and they, they cut out a certain kind of light. And as it turns out, it's the same kind of light that ref reflects on, uh, on the water if you're out fly fishing. Mm -hmm. So what it means is if you wear polarized sunglasses versus other sunglasses, it will, it will neutralize that light reflection and allow you to see under the water. 
Mm. And so you can see where the fish are. And, and that's what I'm advocating here. This is what I think the priority is, is to be able to, uh, it, it, this is what gratitude allows for, is it you, you get to see what's in the water. You get to see what's possible here, what assets are here, what's the potential now, what, what can you build in this that you couldn't before? I, I, instead of simply seeing all that is missing and all we don't know and all that's uncertain and all that's, yes, of course, that stuff is, that's, that's, that's the light reflecting on the war, so we can all see that. Mm -hmm. But it can distract us from the opportunity. And so to me, the priority is to be able to get those, those polarized glasses on us, the game changer first, so that then we can actually build on the possibilities in front of us. To me, that's what matters most in these, uh, in these situations, in the, in the situation we're in. Now, I know a lot of people, um, you know, it's, it's been years now I've been having people, uh, you know, whether I go to a, a business meeting, a church meeting, college stuff, whatever it is, uh, you know, people talk about essentialism. But for those few who haven't heard it or just for a, what's a little, a quick recap of what essentialism is just to give us a little more foundation. Essentialism is the disciplined, continual pursuit about what is essential. Uh, it, it, it's based on the idea that only a few things really matter, are disproportionately important, and most stuff is trivial noise. Once you understand that, once you have that perspective, you start to do three things spontaneously. One, you actually explore, look for what is essential. If, if a few things really matter, if you really believe that, it's, it's worth investing the time and energy in order to find out what those are, instead of just jumping reactively to everything. Mm -hmm. Number two is that you automatically, spontaneously start to eliminate the non-essential stuff. I mean, if you know that it's of total trivial value, compared to the essential things, then you want nothing to do with it. You starve your investment in that energy by investing in what's essential. And number three is that you make that as easy and effortless as possible by creating systems and routines uh, to, to support executing what matters most. So it's a mindset followed by these three skills to explore, eliminate, and execute. That's essentialism. Now, I'm always curious to know where, where people come upon these types of things. So was that something like you learned from your parents or, or when did you get onto this uh, path? Uh, I spent, um, well, I, I had an experience that helped to clarify this for me. Uh, I got an email from my colleague at the time said Friday between the uh, 1 and 2 p.m. would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby. <laughs> uh, otherwise, uh, I mean, because I need you to be at this client meeting. And, and look, they, they, that was probably just a throwaway comment, probably nothing. But for me, I was still feeling torn so that when we were in the hospital Thursday night, our daughter's born in the middle of the night. Friday morning, we're there. Everybody's okay. We're all healthy enough. I'm still feeling torn to go to the meeting. And, uh, you know, to my shame, I did go to it. Mm. And um, 
a colleague said afterwards, look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. And, you know, maybe, uh, well, I don't think they did because the look on their faces didn't evince that sort of confidence. But <laughs> even, if, even if they did, um, you know, it's clear uh, that I made a fool's bargain. Mm. And what I learned from that lesson was really simple. And it was this, if you don't prioritize your life, um, someone else will. Right. Right. And, and, and so I, that, that's really, that, that, that was a personal experience I had while I was also observing a similar pattern in a business setting where I noticed that companies that were once focused and successful started having so many options and opportunities and pursuing them, they started to plateau in their progress or fail altogether. I call it the success paradox. And I just realized, look, this is, this is the same thing. The same thing is happening in both situations, in, the, in, in this organizational level, inside these businesses, and in my personal life. It's the same phenomenon. It's, 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 to give it a name now, it's non-essentialism. That's, I had to come up with language to try to express it. It's non-essentialism where you're, 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 you're just doing too many things. They may be good things. You're trying to straddle it. It's, you know, you're, you're reacting to everything. You're straddling everything. And as a result, it's very hard to get the most important things done because it's all just cluttered amidst the trivial many. And so that's the enemy of our story is non-essentialism. And essentialism is the antidote to that problem. Now, you um, also, you know, one of the things that you talk about is essentialism in a VUCA world. So I think, I, I think that's a military term, but maybe could you explain that, uh, uh, that term and uh, how it applies? It is a military term, and, uh, and, and it stands for uh, volatility, uh, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And really... Not only is this really clearly apparent right now in March 2020, right? Like it's, this it, it is viscerally true, viscerally true right now. People feel this. Um, it is also just more broadly true in a modern, interconnected, hyperconnected world. And so the way that we approached prioritization. 30, 40, 50 years ago, 200 years ago, um, is, is going to be insufficient to the challenge at hand right now. Um, when we were just talking before this began, where, you know, this, this virtual keynote that I did on Friday was before the, India and the United Kingdom are now uh, you know, shut down. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, this is just unbelievable. Just two hugely important countries in the world. Just, okay, that's it. You're all, please stay at home completely. You know, some version of what, it, what, what we all call lockdown, right? Mm -hmm. Various kinds. So in a world like that, where it can move and change so much, you've got to, you've got to increase your prioritization capability. It becomes its own leadership competence the ability to figure out out of all of this noise, what's the 
vital voice. Out of the trivial many, what is most important right now? That, that ability is, is, is like, to me, it's the most relevant ability of the 21st century, right? Like the, the, I, I don't think of anything that's even can compare with it, in fact. Mm. To be able to figure out what really matters, cut out the rest of it, eliminate the non-essential stuff, and make it as easy as possible to again make pro- meaningful progress on the thing that you now see as important. This to me is the, is the very key ability. Now you're from London originally, you live in the US and you've traveled the world. Are there some places that are better at essentialism than others? Well, that's an interesting question. I, one answer that comes to mind, I was invited, um, <laughs> this very, very name dropping, but I was invited <laughs> by the, the Prince of Norway. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best name. I, I'm around name droppers a lot. That's the best one today. <laughs> if, if, if the Prince of Norway invites you to do something, you, you have to tell somebody that the Prince of Norway asked you to do something. <laughs> that's how it seems to me anyway. And, uh, and so he invited me to come to, um, to an innovation conference that he was putting on it, you know, in Norway. And there was, there was so many things about that trip that, that it gave me the sense that essentialism as a culture could be scaled to the national level. And, and so in, in his case, I mean, uh, they, they had been, the, actually they, the Olympics, uh, in, in Norway, the Winter Olympics had been scheduled this is many years out uh, at the time. And there'd been back and forth discussions about this with the Olympic Committee. And I, and I, don't, I, I don't know all the details about it. But in the end, from Norway's point of view, they just said, no, we're not going to do it. They, they withdrew from the Olympics. And their reasoning was that uh, the, the Olympic Committee were simply asking for way too many things too many perks, too many expenses for the committee and for its, you know, its, its extended organization. Mm-hmm. That's just not Norway's way. So the, the, the court, the, the royal court, prides itself on being, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not frivolous, the opposite, frugal. Mm-hmm. And so it's just not the way they do it. It's not big fanfare. They want to be simple. They want it to be clean and, and simple. And, and, and I just got to build on this for a second. The, the, there's a great contrast between United Kingdom and Norway in, in, in one specific example that I researched that I was able to do for, for when I was writing Essentialism. The North Sea oil was found, well, of course, at the same time, and, and it was the, the divided, that North Sea oil was divided between Norway and the United Kingdom because of where it was found. And you can argue about how the UK used the proceeds that came from that, that windfall, but you cannot argue about whether it was used. It has been used. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, over in Norway, they have not only not used it, so they built it up into uh, the, the largest single sovereign fund in the world, over a trillion dollars. They also have rules that they've passed around how much they can use each year. So they, they have a, you know, some sort of return on that fund, something like 5%. They can't use any more than that. And then culturally, it is always the more interesting point of the whole thing to me, is that culturally, 
the culture around it is so strong, they don't even use what they are allowed to use in the law. Hmm. So to me, that is an illustration of the power of culture around just because we could doesn't mean we should, doesn't mean we will. Just because you can spend the money doesn't mean you have to. Just because you have the time doesn't mean you ought to just give it away on to something you know, non, non-essential. And so that's a, to me, there's an illustration, a story in there that we can apply directly back to ourselves around creating buffer, resource buffer, time buffer, to allow us to handle the unexpected things that are certainly going to come. We don't know what they are, but we know that unexpected things are going to come. Now, to finish up, if uh, you were going to uh, give, you know, someone says, hey, I want to make this change, what would you give them that they could do 10 minutes after listening to this to get started on that path? You know, what I would say is really take some time. I, I recommend under even normal circumstances, people take a personal quarterly offsite and you really look across your life and you say, look, what's, a, what's going well? What's working? Let's celebrate the things that are working. And then let's build on those by choosing no more than three goals for the quarter. Here's, you know, this is part of the what's important now process. And that you, you identify, look, if I don't get anything done over the next 90 days, what's the most important thing I get done? And once you've identified that, you move to number two and number three. This is when you know the 90-day personal quarter off, offsite is done, is you can answer those questions clearly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people cannot answer those questions clearly or confidently. And so then what you do with that is you, is you have that right by your bedside table. You get the phone out of your room the phone has no business being in your bedroom that's my mm-hmm. point of view um and uh, and so every morning you do the, the grid glance right you do a, a glance of those goals so that you're priming yourself for for that today so that when you start to say okay what's important now especially when there's such uncertainty you keep coming back to these goals. You can change the goals if you need to, of course you can, but it allows you to come back to something that you've chosen deliberately and intentionally rather than just react. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more about today's guest, visit beyondspeak.com. This episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was me, Eric Woody. Brian Lord was your host and executive producer. Shout out to special consultant Lauren D of D Associates and Robert Borquez for that sweet, sweet intro. If you've listened this far, do me a favor and justify my existence and salary by checking out another episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast.